If you would find your Bible or the Pew Bible or on your phone or iPad or teleportation device, Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. We are going to look at Mark chapter 1 verses 1 through 8 this morning. As you're finding Mark chapter 1 in your Bibles, I want you to think about your preparation for Christmas. What are you doing? What will you have to do to prepare yourself for Christmas? I know we just got done with Thanksgiving, but there's another holiday right behind it. Are you ready? What do you need to do to get ready? What um, plans do you need to make? What special budget considerations do you need to take in? What shopping do you need to do? What cleaning are you going to have to do? Are you hosting the gatherings? Are you going to gatherings? What cooking are you going to have to do? What shopping lists for the ingredients for your cooking are you going to need to do? This can be a very busy season. There's lots of preparation that needs to be done to celebrate Christmas. And what I'd like for us to think about this morning is what preparation is required to celebrate Christ? It's not necessarily the same thing to celebrate Christmas and to celebrate Christ. Many celebrate Christmas with zero thought about Christ. So we want to celebrate Christ. What preparation is required to do so? Today, we're going to look at one step that we must all take to truly prepare to celebrate Christ. And it's in Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. Those who are able, if you would please stand as an expression of honor as we read God's word together. Mark 1, 1 says, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed in camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we have read your word and now we ask that you would do that miracle in which you allow that word to penetrate down deep into our hearts, not just our minds, but our hearts. And speak to us there on that level of who we are and the core of our identity. Or we invite you to rearrange what needs to be rearranged to extract what needs to be extracted to put in place what needs to be put in place in our hearts so that this Christmas season we can be Christians. We can worship and celebrate and honor Jesus Christ in whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may, you may be seated. The first thing we need to notice in this passage is that Jesus Christ 
is a big deal. Now that's not news to you, but I want to point you back to it again. Jesus Christ is a big deal. Look at verse one. It says, the beginning. Now that is no accident. There, there are no accidents in the scripture. What does that phrase, starting this book of the Bible, bring to your mind? The beginning. I couldn't understand much of that, but I think I heard Genesis. Yes, it, it's designed to bring to mind Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God does everything. Okay? In the beginning, hearkening back thoughts of Genesis, uh, bringing to mind the thought of a new beginning, a new Genesis. In the beginning of the gospel. Now, we hear the word gospel a lot. But all the historians believe that Mark was the earliest of the, the Gospels, the, can, the canonical biographies of Jesus, to be written. And most believe that this is the first use of the word gospel to refer to Jesus Christ and his birth and his life, his death, his resurrection. So it's commonplace to us, but this was probably the first time, at least in Scripture, that the word gospel was used referring to Jesus. Now, many of you know that gospel means good news. But it's bigger than that. It's, it's epic-making news. It's, it's news that you need to stop and hear and listen to. It's not good news in the same way um, we're going to have good weather tomorrow is good news. This isn't the weather section of the newspaper. This is the giant headline on a special edition of the newspaper. Big, good, life-altering, history-altering news. So in the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. Now, Christ is not Jesus's last name. Like I'm Matt Broadway. He was Jesus Christ. Christ is a title and it means anointed one. And to the Jewish people, it would mean Messiah. So this, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God, Mark saying this, this is where it begins about the Messiah the savior of God's people that they've been waiting for for centuries is what he's going to be talking about. The son of God. And then he goes on in verse two and three to quote, he says as, as is written in Isaiah, but he actually pulls from a couple of different prophets. He probably mentions Isaiah because he would have been the most well-known. As it is written in Isaiah, the prophet, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. And you have to remember, before this time, it had been about 400 years since the last prophet, since Malachi wrote Malachi. 400 years of quiet and waiting and wondering. And then here, something's happening. Did you notice in verse six, this is a sort of a side note. Why does it explain John's wardrobe and diet? Is there any other place in the Bible where it talks about what people were wearing and eating? It's strange, isn't it? Have you, have you ever just stopped to think, what do we care what John was wearing and what he was eating? Because now John was clothed in camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. 
I think the reason they include that is because it again brings to mind the prophets of old. If you go look in 2 Kings chapter 1 around verse 8, it describes Elijah the prophet in a very similar way, wearing a very similar outfit. It was, I guess, like the prophet uniform. The point is, it's happening. We have another prophet. He's here, the one that, that the old prophets told us would come, saying, prepare the way of the Lord is here. It's John the Baptist. Well, it's just John. We say John the Baptist. He wasn't like a Baptist from a Baptist church that didn't exist back then. It's because he baptized people. So John is here. Now, I also want to point out where he is. The prophecy said, the prophecy said that he would be crying in the wilderness in verse 3. And then in verse 4, we see that John appeared baptizing in the wilderness. The wilderness there is referring to the boundary between the east and the west, this area that Rome would have had a very careful eye on. This, it was the land that Lot chose. It was, he was baptizing in the Jordan, the same river where Jacob crossed to go meet his brother Esau, the same river where Joshua had brought the people over into the promised land. This was, it was in the same region where they wandered for 40 years in the desert. This was a land that had deep historical significance to God's people. So the whole scene is set here for something huge to happen. Centuries old prophecies coming to fruition. The first confirmed prophet in 400 years. In a location of deep historical importance. Here's John, the Baptist. And what's his message? Prepare. He's out in the wilderness wearing his fur coat. And his message that is drawing people from all over is prepare, prepare yourself. How? What is the preparation that he is recommending? It's repentance. Did you see that? Look back in verses four and five. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea And all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Repentance, confession, forgiveness. This is the preparation that God sent John into the wilderness to preach. Repentance means literally uh, to change your mind. But the the phrase always means to, to turn back, to turn away from the wrong thing toward the right thing. Um, What came to my mind as I was thinking about this word is when I was a little kid, I was probably maybe five. No, I wasn't five because I wasn't in school yet. I was probably four, Lillian's age. Um, I told my mom that I was going to go get on the school bus. And I had like a little bag on my back. You know, I was playing. And she said, okay, you know, that's fine. I was just playing. What she didn't know and didn't see is that I then went outside and walked down the driveway to where I had seen my brother wait for the school bus on out past the driveway into the middle of the road. And our our driveway, if this is my driveway and this is the road, it's on a hill. So I was standing right there on the crest of this hill. It's actually the exact same spot where my brother, a couple years later, would get hit by a car as he pulled out of our driveway on a bicycle. So I'm just a four-year-old standing in the middle of the road out there. I actually have no memory of this, but my family remembers it vividly. So where I grew up, I call it Broadwayville because our house was here. My uncle's house is back here. My aunt's house is back here. Another uncle's house back here. 
You guys can't even see this up here. This is more for my benefit. And my grandfather's house is over here. So my uncle who lived back here behind us saw me standing out there in the middle of the road. And so he just takes off running and yelling and running and yelling. And I don't know what he was yelling, but I would imagine it would have to be something like, "Get out, come back, get out of the road, come back. That's sort of the idea of repentance. It was a bad idea for me to have walked out there. And my uncle, like John the Baptist, I don't know if he was wearing a fur vest and a leather belt, but he was, he was bringing the message of repentance to me. Get out of the road, get back, turn back. That's what repentance is. That's the message that God sent John to bring to his people in preparation for Jesus Christ. And I think that is the message that we need to hear as we prepare our hearts to celebrate Christ this winter. Repent, turn back. So John's part in all this, he was baptizing and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for forgiveness. You may wonder, by the way, what was baptism before Christ came and died and rose again? Because whenever I'm up there, I'm telling you that it's connected with Jesus' death and resurrection. And that hadn't happened yet. Well, baptism is an ancient practice and it always symbolizes washing the sin away. So he was baptizing and he's telling people to repent and be forgiven of their sins and to get ready. So here's the big question for you. In preparation to celebrate Christ, what do you need to change? Where do you need to come back from? Where have you wandered that God may right now through the Holy Spirit be saying, repent, turn back, come back. It's kind of an uncomfortable question. Um, when it's Advent, they always feel an internal pressure to preach warm, cozy sermons because it's a warm, cozy time of year. You know, it's the season to be jolly. And here I am saying, repent, you bunch of filthy sinners. Uh, my... I had family in town over the weekend and he asked what I was preaching on tomorrow. And before I could answer, he said, sin and call a bunch of sinners, tell them to repent. And I said, well, <laughs> basically, yeah, but I'm in that boat with you. But though this may not seem warm and cozy, I would actually argue that it is. It is at least the only true path to the warm coziness that we, we all long for this time of year. All of our, the culture around us is wanting this warmth, this coziness, this peace, very few really find it. They can find some distraction sometimes, but very few of us really find it. And I would argue that perhaps this repentance piece may be just the piece that has been missing. So to prove that point to you, I want to read to you Psalm 32. Many of you have heard the story of David, you know, the man after God's own heart, a great king, wrote the majority of our psalms, probably, I haven't counted that up, wrote a lot of our psalms, um, but he committed this terrible sin with Bathsheba. He should have been out leading his men in battle, but he stayed back and he was on his rooftop and he saw this woman Bathsheba bathing on a roof next to him where he could see. And, you know, that switch flipped and he wanted her and he didn't think through it. He didn't pray about it. He just, he, he did it. He went for it, had her brought in, committed adultery with her. Then in a frenzy to cover up what he had done, uh, started trying to deceive everyone, very deceitfully 
put her husband on the front lines of the war so that he would be killed? Well, let me back up. First, he brought her husband home, hoping that they would be together and that then he could say that the child was her husband's. Extremely deceitful. That didn't work out. So then he sent her husband to the front line so he'd be killed. It's horrible, horrible sin. Just sin on top of sin on top of sin on top of sin. And here's what he writes in Psalm 32. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Man, have any of you experienced conviction from the Holy Spirit like that? It can be crushing. When he kept silent about his sin, when he tried to hide it, his very bones wasted away through his groaning. Day and night, it was like there was this heavy divine hand just laying on his shoulder, just weighing him down. This is what our sin feels like. And I I can just tell you from personal experience, there is no lonelier, colder place to be than in a festively decorated room surrounded by laughing people with a heart full of guilt and shame. There is no lonelier, colder place to be. So John, prompted by the Holy Spirit, says, repent. Our sin disconnects us from God when we don't acknowledge what he knows to be true about us, when we harbor our sin, when we justify our sin. And our sin disconnects us from each other. When we're sitting there with that secret load of shame and guilt, people around us don't know about it, then they don't really know us. They, they are loving a mirage. You know, I tell my kids this, it may seem harsh, but when they lie, and they do, you know, I tell them, you know, when you lie to me, it's like I'm not your father anymore. It's like we're strangers because I don't know you. I don't really know you when you're not telling me the truth. And if I lie to you, you don't really know me. It's like we're strangers. You know, when you're living a lie because of your sin, you're a stranger to everyone. So this holiday, which is supposed to be all about togetherness, is impossible. It's impossible if we refuse this message of repentance. So, I'll ask you again, the big question, what do you need to change in order to celebrate Christ? What do you need to repent of in order to truly celebrate Jesus Christ? Let that question settle in for a second. Now, I wanted to get more specific here. I didn't want to look through the directory and think, what sin might that individual be dealing with? And then talk about that. Because I don't know. I know my sin. But in Luke chapter 3, Luke's record gets a lot more specific. And apparently John got pretty specific. In Luke chapter 3, starting at verse 10, we see that the crowds asked him, Well, what then should we do? You're telling us to repent. What do you mean? What should we do? And he answered them, Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. And then the tax collectors came up. The tax collectors were deeply hated 
because they were, they were traitors to their own people working for the government and extorting more taxes than was right from their own people and keeping the, the excess for themselves. So they were these rich, uh, crooked, lying, traitorous people. They come walking up to be baptized and they said to John, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than you are authorized to do. And then soldiers came to him. What, what, and we, what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation and be content with your wages. So here we see a little sample, a little cross section of some specific um, repentance that he called people to there as he was baptizing people. So now as you're thinking, what might the Holy Spirit be prompting you that you need to repent of? Think about some of those things. Uh, have you been misusing your surplus? Have you been living in plenty and not helping those who are in need? Now, I dare say virtually all of us should be feeling some twinges of conviction here. Have you been misspending your money carelessly, whereas we're supposed to work hard and use our money well to glorify God and to serve people? Have you been neglecting those in need, lacking in generosity? Let's talk about dishonesty, because that was a factor in all those folks too. Have you been being dishonest? Have you been working to deceive? Have you been bending the truth, which is another way of describing deception? Slight exaggerations, omitting certain truths to shape people's perception. Anytime you are purposely trying to um, shape someone's perception in a way that is false, even if you're not saying anything that's technically a lie, it's still deception. You can't play around like that. It's deception. You know it. God knows it. I know it. Corruption, abusing your power, cheating people, false accusation, he mentions. I think in this category, we can include things like gossip. Have any of us been, uh, I like Dave Ramsey's definition of gossip, is discussing a negative with anybody who can't solve the problem. Have you just been passing around negative junk? He mentions discontentment. Maybe that's the sin from which you need to repent. Have you been complaining? Have you been coveting other people's stuff? Have you been ungrateful? Now, I'm not the Holy Spirit, so I'm going to go ahead and stop trying to make you feel awful. That's not my job. My job is to look at the truth, let it kind of clobber me so I can work through repentance, which I am, which I do regularly. I don't ever want y'all to think I'm up here as somebody who's figured all this stuff out and I'm telling you guys to catch up with me. This is our lives. Repentance is the Christian life. We are not going to be perfect until he completes the work in the end. So we all have repenting to do. So if, if something has come to your mind, if your heart, if you feel that heavy hand on you now, here's what you need to do. You need to do just what they did. And um, verse five, they were going out to him, were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. 
Confessing means to say with. It's to agree with God that whatever this thing is, yes, it's wrong. Yes, it's sinful. It starts between you and God. You can begin that process right here, right now. And say, God, I've been doing this or I have done this. And it is sin and I need you to forgive me. I need you to help me to repent. Now that's part one of confession. Part two of confession is where you confess to the person you've sinned against. Okay, now this can sometimes be the scarier one because you know God is, he's just and righteous. But you also know that he already knows and you know that he's gracious and that he sent his son to die for you. You don't know what people's reaction is going to be because they're sinful just like you are. They might just slap you. I mean, who knows? But that's got to be part of it. Now, confession to people isn't, it's not for everybody. It's not everybody's business. But if you have sinned against someone, part of repentance is confessing that to them, acknowledging that to them and asking for their forgiveness. And I know how hard that is from personal experience. So think about Luke 3. You would have seen these crowds of people confessing their selfishness and then starting to give their stuff away. You would have seen those tax collectors confessing their dishonesty and then trying to repay the people they cheated. You would have seen those soldiers confessing where they may have abused their powers, abused their authority and trying to make it right. So I'm getting a picture of what this needs to look like for me. I don't know what it needs to look like for you. I've been praying that the Holy Spirit will make that plain. But here is the good news. Remember, this was good news. The, the good news isn't, you're terrible, get it together. That's not the good news of the gospel. Okay? The good news of the gospel is Christ is here. And here's what makes Christ so special. He can actually bring about your forgiveness and cleansing and full restoration. And he's the only one who can do it. Look at what John says in verses 7 and 8. Remember, John, John is a superstar. I mean, people are going from all over to hear him preach. He's, you know, Stephen Furtick times a billion. You know, before, before he had the internet to promote his ministry, he had tons of people coming out. And here's what he says about Jesus. In verse 7, and he preached saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. You know, John's baptism uh, gets your body a little bit cleaner, but you know, it's in the Jordan River. I don't even know how clean that really would be. It's symbolic of the desire to be cleansed from sin. It's symbolic of the, the need to confess and the determination to repent. But now Jesus baptizes us with the Holy Spirit. That's real transformation. That's real forgiveness. That's real new creation when you come up. Only Jesus can do this. There's one more thing I want to point out to you. Did you notice at the end of verse 3, the message of the prophet that everybody's been waiting for and turns out to be John, the message isn't prepare and get on your way toward the Lord. It's prepare the way of the Lord. The message isn't make your path straight to get to the Lord. It's make his path straight. And that's an important difference. You know, there's two types of preparation for Christmas. 
There's a type of preparation the traveler has and there's a type of preparation the host has. And they're not the same. Traveler needs to prepare and think through all this stuff and then he needs to go. The host prepares, pre- prepares the destination, prepares the place, stays put. See, the message of Christmas, the gospel, isn't you need to repent of these things and here's uh, seven tips on how to do better and get on the way, get on your path toward the Lord. Go to him. It's Jesus is coming to you. See, the good news is that Christ came into the world and he still comes to us. That idea of making his path straight. Now I read in one commentary they would have to do this if an important figure was, was traveling into like a small town, especially, you know, they didn't have nice paved roads. Sometimes the path would be really rough. And so if somebody really important was coming, they'd want to do some work and get that thing straightened out so that, you know, that incoming dignitary or whoever wouldn't, you know, bust a wheel off of the chariot and fall out or whatever would happen back then. And that's sort of the idea. He here, he's saying he's coming. Let's get it as smooth as we can. Let's get ready for this. So now for us, he has come. But he still says what he says in Revelation 3.20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. So this Christmas, maybe you feel it. Maybe he's standing at your door and he's knocking. What preparation do you need to do to let him in? What sin do you need to acknowledge? What does repentance look like for you? What does coming back look like for you? I want to close, rather than me praying, I'll ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes and listen to Psalm 51, because this is David's prayer when he was in the thick of it, of his sin. Maybe this can form our prayer as we prepare to celebrate Christ. Just... Close your eyes and let God's word, let God's word wash over you. This is Psalm 51. It's addressed to the choir master. It's a Psalm of David when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba, after he had been confronted for his sin. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit.
Father, we pray this prayer to you. It's hard. It's hard to look at ourselves this honestly. But it's good. It's good to deal with these things. Lord, I just ask for my own heart and for the heart of this people that you would do this deep, purging, cleansing work in us so that we can truly celebrate Christ, so that we wouldn't just need to be distracted, but we could look people in the eye with clean, clear consciences so that we could sing these Christmas hymns to you with clean, clear consciences, meaning every word. So we could be free, so we could be ready for Christ's work in us. Lord, this is good news that you sent Jesus. I am so grateful. Thank you that you came to be with us, to cleanse us, to save us. In Jesus' name, amen.